0: Most people don't believe something can happen until it already has. That's not stupidity or weakness. That's just human nature. Max Brooks, World War Z, an oral history of the zombie war. in the freezer a podcast focusing on the deliciously disturbing world of horror fiction i'm stephanie
1: and i'm devin and last week we talked about zombies in film uh, this week we're going to be talking about zombies in literature with the passionate expertise of our guests tyler and mike from the horror podcast. <laughs>
0: This episode of Books in the Freezer is brought to you by Audible. This podcast wouldn't be possible without audiobooks. So if you want some spooky stories told by some familiar voices, try Stephen King's Pet Cemetery, read by Dexter's Michael C. Hall, or The Dead Zone, read by James Franco, or podcast favorite, Joe Hill's Nosferatu, read by Kate Mulgrew. For a free audiobook and 30-day trial, go to audibletrial.com slash booksinthefreezer. Happy listening! So it is that time we're going to talk about the book. We are going to be reading for March for Books in the Freezer. We are just finishing up Mongrels by Stephen Graham Jones. You can check out the chat and what everyone is saying about it in our Goodreads group. And that was my pick. But this time it's time for Devin to pick the book for March. So what'd you pick, Devin?
1: Yes, it is my turn. Um, I decided to go with a somewhat of a classic. Uh, this is going to be graham masterson's walkers Um, graham is going to be uh, presented with the lifetime achievement award this year at the stoker awards so figure it was time to dive into some of his work the uh synopsis is as follows the oaks is an idyllic upmarket country club but behind its ornately carved walls is a horrific past 60 years ago the house was an asylum home to crazed psychopaths. One night, all of them disappeared, never to be seen again. Jack Reed, the owner of the Oaks, has no idea about the building's strange past. It is only when Jack's son is dragged into the walls of the mansion that he realizes what happened 60 years ago and just where the inmates have been living all this time. Ooh. and again we're all you know horror fans so grand masterson shouldn't be a, a a name that's foreign to you he's one of the masters of horror so i just wanted to get around some of his work because i haven't actually read any of it yet and i think this is going to dive into
0: yeah definitely the ebook for this is available on hoopla um, in the united states i was able to find it on kindle unlimited there is a kindle version there's also a paperback version on amazon so it should be fairly accessible so we hope you join us remember to use hashtag bitf book club on instagram and twitter
1: all right steph so who are we talking to today again
0: we are talking to a former chilling obsession of ours <laughs> mm-hmm. as we mentioned at the top mike and tyler from horror pod class welcome thank you so much for joining us today
2: thanks so much for having us on Thanks. Yeah, this is <laughs> awesome.
0: <laughs> so, how did you guys get around to starting Horror class? What were the events that that came to be to bring that into the world?
2: Well, Mike can correct me because <laughs> I I tend to embellish or get things wrong. Uh, but uh, we started Signal Horizon uh, about a year and a half ago, mm-hmm. mostly as a way uh, to kind of showcase the fact that. The, the horror community is really a, a, a big world and it deserves its place in academia. So we've always had a bent or, a, a, you know, a, an emphasis on literary horror or bringing, you know, kind of pop culture horror into the classroom because uh, I'm, I'm still a teacher and Mike's a former teacher. So the horror pod class kind of came out of that as a way for us to unpack the themes and ideas behind our favorite Horror movies and, and horror literature.
3: Yeah, that sounds that sounds about right, Tyler. That's that's pretty close, pretty close. Um, yeah, and and we're just really you know excited about about literature and about reading and about kind of taking things to the next like logical level and especially like using it in the classroom, which uh, is is just an awesome way to be able to connect with kids, um, especially because you know a lot of the reading that you get in high school can be a little bit dry at first mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and we wanted to make super awesome money, which <laughs> yeah. Man, yeah. is it not rolling billions in. of in, dollars later. Yeah. Uh. Yep. <laughs> it's huge. It's huge. But, but no, seriously, I, I mean, I have, I, I, literature and, and books in general have been really important to me. Um, science fiction was always my kind of real passion. And then I got more into horror and it's just so many things have been like really meaningful, just kind of like life affirming to me. And uh, I like to share them with with other people, and it's like super cool to be able to do that. And it's super cool to be able to go on other people's podcasts too.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like you guys use the term talking about literary horror. That's um, I find that quite interesting because I mean horror is one of those genres that's kind of always viewed on the the bottom end of the totem pole for when it comes to like you know having substance and and meat to it so guys like yourselves and and, and others are seeing more into horror these days more there's more to unpack with the genre than people once gave it credit for
2: yeah well genre works the same way in film as it does literature it often gets short shrift but there's really brilliant stuff going on in those genres and and we're kind of get to some books later on where we can examine some of that. But we have folks that are on top of their literary game that aren't genre that will dip their toes into writing some like short horror fiction or whatever. And it's fantastic. And there are fantastic authors that just happen to be writing in the horror genre that the quality of their literature, I would put on par with anything that we are teaching right now. That's outside of of that particular genre. Definitely.
3: Well, and I tell you a guy that I'm really uh, interested in right now, not necessarily horror, but kind of in that literary kind of vein is, uh, is Merlin James. And I've been reading some, um, some interviews with him. He's got this, this book coming out now. Uh, So he's, he's a, he's a winner of the uh, man Booker prize. He's got this book coming out called, uh, I think it's Black Black Leopard, Red Wolf. Um, it's been billed as kind of like a African Game of Thrones, maybe, kind of, sort of. Uh, haven't read it yet, but I've heard amazing stuff. And uh, the, kind of one of the things that he said is like, like okay, so in genre, you know, there's... So, like, in, in literature, there's a lot of, like, fiction in there. There's a lot of, like... Non-realist fiction that masquerades as fiction, and um, just because you've got something that's a little bit kind of in genre doesn't mean that it doesn't have to be have to be literary. And in fact, um, the the way I kind of take that is like, like yeah, there's a lot of schlock and horror. There's there's a lot of terrible science fiction. There's a lot of really lame fantasy. But hey, guess what? There's a lot of just really terrible stuff that calls itself literature that gets pumped out every single day and nobody says that like literature is any worse for it. So when, when, when you look at the great work of, of any type of genre uh, boy, I mean, it can be, it can be just as good as, as anything that calls itself literary. So that's my two cents.
1: It's kind of like Kurt Vonnegut for Kurt Vonnegut went basically to his grave saying that he does, he's on a sci-fi author. But his stories are science fiction, but because they're good, because they got accepted critically, you know, oh, he's that's not that's not science fiction. That's just fiction. That's too good for this.
2: Well, and that's I mean, you see that right now. This is like one of Mike and I's big pet issues. You see fantastic, you know, just overall great movies, especially the mainstream kind of Hollywood will work double time to try to figure out a way that they're not genre. Right. Yeah. Like, uh, we defined Get Out as like a thriller right off the bat. And they even tried to do the same thing with uh, A Quiet Place. And it's like, look, man, just uh, I- I accept the position and, and, you know, acknowledge that like Westerns can can win Academy Awards. So can, you know, horror movies. So
0: Oh, definitely. There's actually a, I think it was a Funny or Die sketch about this <laughs> that reenacted like the opening scene from Scream, but the person calling her was ragging on the girl because she said she didn't like horror movies and they, they had this whole conversation about how people need to call it something else call it elevated horror or push it uh, to another <laughs> genre I love it. Yeah. she's being chased by this masked figure and they're just having this argument
1: yeah that's I my theory it. that's my theory on thrillers there's so many more thrillers being published now because people just didn't want to call themselves horror authors
2: yeah well no, i mean yeah. no
1: uh are you going to
2: talk
3: about laird baron i'm sure you're going to talk about laird baron <laughs>
1: How did you know, Tyler? Ah. How did you
2: know I was going to talk about
3: Lardbury? <laughs> no, no, no. I, know. I, no, I what, what, what I was going to say is that um, this, this is a cultural choice, right? That, 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 we make in America and probably in Canada too. I don't, I don't want to speak for Canada. It's the same thing I, up here. Yeah, yeah. Um, that this, um, this idea that in order for something to be like literary and have merit and to be, you know, I don't know good for you to read or important or you know you can pile on the adjectives it has to be this like this real this social realist like work um is just not true that's just what we've kind of all decided very recently very recently we've decided that so um you know i i think i think we're we're set for and i think we are having a resurgence of um of genre back into the mainstream, and when and sometimes when I read a book, I think, you know, this is a genre book, but its appeal is far wider than the genre. Um, yeah. I think about that in uh, Ted Chang all the time. Yeah. Um, that 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 guy can write something that, I mean, I would I would take it to a dinner party with with anybody that doesn't like science fiction, and I'd pitch it to him because it's it's fantastic.
0: Yeah, I mean, my parents even have that issue, like when they really knew that I was really getting into horror they were like I can't believe you're into that but then I asked them about the stuff they watch and they call it thrillers but it's it's technically horror like my parents just watched like 13 cameras and they loved bird box and I actually got my mom bird box for Christmas and she ended up like loving it but she like does not want to call it horror yeah yeah. I mean That's it's a, a, a lot of, yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> a, a lot of it is marketing yeah um so a thriller will make more money than a horror novel oh definitely yeah.
3: Yeah, but you know what? If you take um, a literary novel to a bunch of uh, high school kids and try to yeah. pitch it to them, mm-hmm. mm, probably not so interested. But if you t- bring them a horror novel that's got some zombies in it, <laughs> now you're
1: talking. Yep, yeah. yeah. that's one thing I've always said about it. I think horror horror probably is probably one of the smallest, like actual audiences of the of the other genres, but it has the most diehard. Like you get a horror reader, they're going they're going to pound every horror thing on the shelf. but there's just not many of us Is the problem
0: (laughs) we're working on it
1: we are working on the conversion yeah
3: yeah i mean i'm i'm always looking to uh, looking for authors that have got that kind of appeal that can like kind of kind of reach out to the to the to the broader audience um Mm. and 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 there was a time uh not too long ago when horror was big bucks in the united states it was big it was huge um it was Bigly. It was uh, kind of, what other ones can I come up with, you know? Um, so, and, and now it's just kind of, you know, Stephen King releases his book a quarter, and that's kind of what it his is. Makes money. Well, it's money. And, well, yeah. money and,
1: and sometimes and it's an even horror novel, sometimes. Yeah.
2: Every once in a while, yeah.
1: <laughs>
2: well, that's kind of, the idea behind the horror pod class was to be a little bit of the read this, not that, right? So... Mm-hmm. There are these classic pieces of literature of which uh, we don't deny their literary merit, but when you give it to a 16-year-old kid, they're just not going to be that interested. So, like, the the big example I have returned to as of late, I went back and reread Strange Weather by Joe Hill. Okay. Mm -hmm. And... I, for me, I didn't love it the first time around and I kind of read it the second time around looking for things that I missed or, you know, like, what, why, why am I not feeling this as much? And I read it right after I read Jonathan Franzen's newest novel. I think it was called Freedom. Mm-hmm. And that's like a deep work of like literary merit that like the New York Times wrote up as like the second coming of whoever. And it really is a discussion about suburbia. And Joe Hill does the same thing with the first short story in Strange Weather with Snapshot. If you were to cut off the last, like, 15 pages of all the supernatural stuff, it's a discussion about suburbia and our place in, like, you know, the exurbs and, you know, that kind of stuff. So I was like, man, the kids would totally love Snapshot, but hate freedom. So... Why are we teaching one and not the other when we can teach the same themes and teach about voice and all that kind of stuff when when we could be teaching Joe Hill? So uh, that, that's that's where I sit. Like, how can we how can we keep everybody's attention in the in the classroom?
1: If you want to advocate for teaching Joe Hill in the classroom, you are on the right podcast, sir. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Woo-hoo! Welcome. laughs> Joe Hill needs to be mentioned at least once an episode.
0: That's true. There's like a bingo card we have. Oh, sweet. <laughs>
1: bingo. Joe Hill's got three spots on it.
0: I know. Um. It's like Joe Hill, Grady Hendrix, Paul Tremblay. Yep.
2: That's fair. Hey,
3: we got two out of yeah. three. We'll work in Grady Hendrix here before too long. So jo- Joe Hill had an awesome story in, uh, was it Flight or Fright? The, the, the airplane horror yeah. anthology that Stephen King put out. Yeah. And uh, most of that was, was reprints. There was some good stuff in there. A lot of stuff that I thought was a little bit questionable whatever the Stephen King story was Stephen King fans would probably not think it's his best story but that Joe Hill story was freaking awesome unbelievable so shout shout out to that that's the reason to 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 read that book I haven't read it it's it's pretty it's pretty
1: incredible yeah. I have a copy of it but I didn't read it yet.
0: I read the Word Horde one that had the similar title. It was like Fright into Flight. Oh. That was like the all-female. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. The all-female nice.
1: one. So the name of the, the Joe Hill one was You Are Released.
3: You Are Released. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know what? Just go read that one. Because <laughs> read that one and Cargo. Those are, the, those are the two great stories that are in there. And all the rest of them are fair to middling.
1: Well, they got Ray Bradbury, Dan Simmons, Joe Hill, uh, Richard Matheson. Roll dolls in there? <laughs> it's
0: like a lot of old stuff.
1: Ambrose Bierce is in there. Ambrose oh, wow. Bierce has Ambrose a story
3: Beers. in there. i mean, I mean a, a lot of this stuff is like a, a, like you can pick it up somewhere else.
2: It's you not know, you it's have... not incident at Owl Creek, is it?
1: <laughs> no.
0: The famous airplane story. Yeah, we know. Yeah, we're right. You're like
2: that's a stretch.
3: All right.
1: But it's funny uh, you say that, because Nightmare at 20,000 feet is the Matheson story in there.
0: I was gonna ask if that was. <laughs> Yeah. That
3: was the one, of course, and we've all seen the we've all seen the, the Twilight Zone episode. Yep. So I mean, yep. you know, and it's
2: going to be part of uh, that was one of the episode titles released for the new Jordan Peele Twilight Zone. So we're going to get like yes. a oh. gazillion versions of that. It's a great story, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> but the
3: the Joe Hill story is is awesome. It it, it kind of takes you back to some of the Cold War um, a fear, with a very kind of modern. Uh, not not necessarily modern, but a very contemporary uh, discussion about kind of uh, not really politics, but kind of the divis- div- divisiveness in the United States. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's it's really good.
0: Cool. I'll have to check that out.
1: Yeah. But there's no zombies. Oh. That's
3: a big problem. <laughs> yeah. Big problem. No zombies. And we're right here to
1: talk about zombies.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned a zombie 101 earlier. What is, what is that?
2: Yeah, uh, Zombie 101 is a three week long residential class that I teach for high school kids uh, at my alma mater, which is Truman State University. So uh, every month of July, I have about 20 kids. It's part of a larger curriculum called JBA, which is the Joseph Baldwin Academy, where the kids uh, pick a specialty and then they have a professor that kind of guides them through uh, essentially, eight hours of instruction a day for three weeks. So, we we cover everything from uh, Night of the Living Dead to like the the last movie controversially I showed last year was Get Out because uh, my my theory is that it's really a, a a zombie movie. So, but we talk about kind of the themes, and then in between every movie, they I usually have uh, like a guest speaker come in and talk to them about survival strategies or like shelter building uh mike was a guest this year where he talked about because he you know had did some work for USAID, so he talked about emergency management you know when we have these global disasters like what that kind of disaster relief looks like so it's kind of an all-encompassing how to survive the zombie apocalypse while looking at why the zombie apocalypse is something that we like to talk about so much
1: I find that incredibly interesting because last week we had uh, Dr. Blumberg on the show. Um, he also had a, a course that he taught at the University of Maryland, I believe. Um, and when that course first came out, it was put in the like uh, media as Zombie 101 and had people enrolling no in it thinking that it was a survival course, but really it was um, analyzing zombies in like uh, media and pop culture. So oh. it was like completely uh, misunderstood. I mean, it seems like... The course you described is the one that people thought they were going to at that point.
2: Yeah, <laughs> I I am not a survival guide, uh, so I have to, like, track down people to teach that stuff. And yeah. and it is uh, – we get a, a certain type of person in some rural areas of Missouri that are very much into the, like, survival aspect of it. But then, you know, we, we talk about, like, I don't know, the the – the the racial imagery of night of the living dead and they're like oh my god what did i get myself into so it's it's a weird mix but that kind of push and pull of that class i think is what makes it so fun
0: that sounds really fun so you don't have any survival tips for us if the apocalypse comes
2: well everybody should have a bug out bag that's like okay that's just basic safety strategy have uh you know, like uh, some water and a bag that you can grab in case uh, you need to get out of Dodge. Mike would be the better guy because Mike's actually been in the army. So I the first thing I would do is call Mike and be like, what do I do?
1: Hopefully the cell phones still work.
2: Yeah, <laughs> right. Exactly.
1: See, my, my my plan is to be as close to patient zero as possible because I don't want to live in the zombie apocalypse. <laughs> that,
2: that, that's an excellent <laughs> strategy. I like it.
1: I want I want to exit before the world blows up. So, so, I mean, do you get that a lot? Do you get a lot of people, like again, misunderstanding what your course, like, what the, I guess, the intent behind it is?
2: Uh, yeah, like, I would say, you know, of a class of 20, I'll have four or five folks that are a little more centered around, you know, the kind of physical aspect, which there is, of camp. But, for the most part, JBA attracts, like, high school kids that are pretty intellectual and pretty, I, I like... They like to think critically about the world around them. Like if you give them a short story and you tell them to annotate it, they're like, "Yeah, <laughs> you know." So, like, I, I, I kind of knew what I was getting involved with. So, if anything, they're a little more like, "Oh man, I gotta, I gotta go out in the woods again today or whatever." Because they'd rather be watching scary movies than kind of dissecting them. So, uh, maybe more so the the second than the first, but. <laughs>
0: So you said when you teach, you do a little bit of literature. Mm -hmm. What kind of books do you teach? Are you going to talk about them later? Uh,
2: I'll talk about one of the short stories later because it's my favorite piece of zombie fiction ever. Uh, But, oh, and I think Mike's going to talk about the other because we've had him on um, or at Zombie 101 before. Yeah, they're just a handful of short stories that I think lend themselves uh, to that particular field. We also read some... Uh, analysis of a couple of articles that i print off there are some really great anthologies just of um that you know a collection of analysis about what zombies mean that i kind of give them so yeah we'll we'll wait for later and i'll, okay. I'll kind of <laughs> share what i not to not to ruin it no, spoilers. To, no, no spoilers. spoilers no spoilers no spoilers <laughs> yeah.
3: Yeah, so so Zombie One Hundred and One is really Tyler's bag. He's been doing that for for years. But uh, but last year he invited me to come up and, and speak, um, and and like Tyler mentioned, I was in the army. But uh, I have also previously worked with uh, USAID, the United States Agency for International Development. And one of the things that um, that my job entailed was a lot of disaster kind of planning, or helping other countries um, uh, plan for disasters and plan for responses and then plan for what the U S government response is going to be. So um, I was able to uh, go up there and and teach about uh, hopefully a very engaging lesson, but some of this government stuff is just so boring. So I (laughs) felt, I felt bad for these kids. They were engaged.
2: um, They were good.
3: Yeah, they were, they were, but uh, you know, just kind of what, what it really looks like when there's a disaster. And uh, I think that we can learn a lot from, uh, how the international community responded or failed to respond to a, um, a disaster like the Ebola outbreak that happened a couple years ago. I think that is probably the one that is the most, uh, most pressure to, to that particular uh, conversation. But um, anyways, no, if, if you're looking for some survival tips though, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, my, my number one survival tip is um, uh, buy a Weber grill and buy some barbecue. And have a barbecue for you and all your neighbors and learn who your neighbors are because that is the best defense. Those are the people that are going to um, help you in a time of crisis, whether that be a natural disaster, a zombie apocalypse, a robot uprising. It doesn't matter. Those are the people that you're going to have. So at least know Mm -hmm. their names, you know, Um, and and, and I think that zombie and post-apocalyptic fiction in general, um, kind of focuses on like maybe the libertarian ethos of like the lone guy that like does it all on his own. It's like, you know, the cool guy or he got a lot of guns or whatever. And uh, yeah, that's not how things really work. So
0: very interesting.
1: So so you're saying in, in times of crisis, it's more likely to band together than that whole doggy dog. the People are the real monster kind of thing.
3: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've, I've, I've lived in places that have been very messed up by both man-made and natural disasters. And the fact is that, like, yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, there's some people that act the fool, but for the most part, people, people do come together. So, well, and the
2: research base is is very clear. Cultures and societies, cities and towns that band together are, are much more likely to survive those types of natural disasters. Uh, with lower homicide rates with you know higher survival rates they are healthier they are stronger long t- term they rebuild quicker so the idea that community is important even in times of global disaster is
3: is super important it's encouraging yeah yeah and and, and that's and that's not saying don't be prepared mm-hmm. but uh, you, yeah. you should you should be you should you should be prepared but you don't need to uh, focus a lot all of your efforts on preparation and none on your community because that's when That's when you really will fail. When you try to Omega Man it, it's not going to work. Yeah.
0: I just read a book that kind of coincides with that. It was about, um, it was called Palaces for the People, and it was about the importance of community and social infrastructure. And the author said he did a big research project and he really got into the heat wave that was in Chicago and some areas, like what were the, things where there was a lot of survivors and it was community it was neighbors helping each other it was communities that were close-knit and and neighbors that had a good rapport for each other and looked out for each other so that's really interesting yeah that's awesome
1: Very cool. it's like i said it's really encouraging i mean that's i can also say i've never considered that before usually when you look like you said at dystopian fiction yeah it's all the zombies ain't the monster people are the monster kind of thing yeah but the, but the thought that as people we probably would come together that's it's, it's it's enlightened it's well not it's uplifting
0: I mean as an introvert it puts a little pressure on me <laughs> I have to go meet my neighbors
1: now <laughs> so okay in terms of preparation for the apocalypse so and I'm going to try and not sound like I'm doing this as a parody question but so prepping <laughs> prepping for a zombie apocalypse isn't all that much different than you know um, any other natural disaster that would come along you don't think
2: no, uh, in, in fact, the kind of uh, the reason Zombie 101 exists, back in the day, uh, I've, I'm, I'm a teacher, so I was desperate to make a little bit more money. So with a couple of professors that I still knew at Truman State, I pitched them the idea that uh, the CDC had just released, this was like like peak zombie. So it was like right after the zombie survival guide. I think the Walking Dead had just started, like we we were reaching Peak Zombie. And the CDC, like the legitimate CDC as part of the US government, released like a hundred page guideline for surviving the zombie apocalypse, right? And they like everybody ridiculed them and they got so much grief for it. But but really it was just an explanation for like how to how to survive any natural disaster. They were just playing the smart game and we're introducing it in a way that would get them a lot of publicity and that kind of stuff. So
1: it's, it, it was the turning the food on the spoon into an airplane so that people would eat it.
2: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I was like, why, why don't we do this every year with high school kids? And, uh, the, the wonderful folks at Truman state, uh, gave me a shot and, you know, we're, we're going strong. So it's, a, it's been a, a lot of fun, but it, there's no difference. You know, it, the same things that are going to help you uh, survive a zombie horde are going to help you survive a massive tornado. Or um, we we live real close to the Missouri River, and we've had a couple of devastating floods in my lifetime. You know, and they knock out infrastructure. So how are you going to survive without, you know, electricity or water or whatever for a week or two?
1: This is the second week in a row I'm I'm learning about a course in school that I would love to take but <laughs> never will. <laughs>
2: We would love to have you. You're uh, you're more than welcome.
0: All right, ready to talk about some books? Let's do it. <laughs> First book I wanted to talk about is an anthology because zombie fiction wasn't something that I was all that familiar with a few years ago and I kind of slowly got into it. And I've mentioned before, I think the some of the easiest ways to get into a subgenre you're not familiar with are short stories and young adult which are the two things I did today so first thing I'm doing is Nights of the Living Dead an anthology and this was put together by Jonathan Mayberry and the late George Romero and these are all stories that take place in the Night of the Living Dead universe and a lot of them are set on the night that it happened which I thought was an interesting premise that everyone was working from so uh, some of my favorites were there was a story called A Girl Named Sue. And this was by Craig E. Angler, who is one of the writers for the show Z Nation. Um, there was a story called Orbital Decay by David Wellington. And I liked this one because it, it took place in space. And the astronauts are on a, a like a video call with a group of students. And then stuff starts happening. <laughs> and uh, another one that was guide was Dead Run by Chuck Wendig. And live and on scene by keith ra de candido and he's doing uh this is following a journalist who is really reporting on what is happening and just the situation where people didn't know what was happening while it was going down and i live in the pittsburgh area which is you know close to where night of the living dead is set so it was kind of yeah. fun to read these stories and have all the cities that are near me i'm like hey i know where that is <laughs> While I was reading it. So it was fun. I definitely recommend it. I would say, especially to people who are iffy on zombie stories, I would say this is a really good, fun place to start. The stories are very varied. There's a lot of variety. There's like fun, there's serious, there's dark, there's a whole range. So I think someone will find something they like here for sure. So that was Knights of the Living Dead, an anthology.
2: Yeah. I, if I remember correctly, I think that's one of Romero's last like major projects was editing his way through that. And it it is a great anthology. And Stephanie, I think you're 100 percent right. It's so funny. Yeah. The couple of those stories are like laugh out loud funny. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so my first pick is an anthology as well. Um, it's the chief anthology I use for Zombie 101. It's called The Living Dead. And it's uh, really divided into volumes one and two, but I kind of focused on volume one for my first pick. It's edited by John Joseph Adams, and like if if ever there were to be like I think a pretty good overarching anthology of of you know the the zombie canon, this would be this would be it. It opens with my absolute. Favorite piece of zombie uh, apocrypha ever, whether it be movie or book or short story, it's this year's class photo by Dan Simmons. Uh, Dan Simmons, same guy that wrote The Terror that they made the excellent TV show out of last year. And it's essentially about a career teacher and how she tries to continue teaching, even if her classroom is full of other zombies. So. It's sad and wonderful and, and just tremendous. A couple of other highlights, Ghost Dance by Sherman Alexie. We talked earlier in the episode about like literary giants dabbling in genre, and Sherman Alexie's got a couple that I think do a wonderful job of, of kind of dabbling in the horror genre. But Ghost Dance, he's it's like the fourth or fifth story in the anthology. And then... I know this is a favorite of Mike's too, but uh, John Langan has a play that he wrote that is really his take on our town. If our town was invaded by zombies and I like, it's just a damn near perfect piece of fiction. So it's, it's really well done. Yeah. If if I
3: had to teach our town, the only way I would do it would be is if they let me <laughs> tell the kids, we're going to learn Our Town, we're going to spend like four days on Our Town, and then we're going to read something freaking awesome. Yeah, and Because How the Day Runs Down is... is I, I love it. I love it. I've read it like four or five times. I still love it. It's yeah. great. By the way, John Langan's also got a short
2: story in his single author collection that came out, I think, in 2013 called uh, The Wide Carnivorous Sky mm-hmm. called Kids That Are About... Little zombie kids in a classroom. That is a lot of fun too, and it's really short. It's like four pages long or
3: something. So, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah that, that that would be a good one to to get everybody interested in a class. Yeah, yeah. There, there there's not a whole lot to dive into on that one, but it is it is a whole lot of fun.
2: Yeah, and and as a teacher who hasn't felt like they're being eaten alive by the children from time to time.
3: <laughs> well, man, I, you know, I'm, I'm really glad that, uh, that you brought up, uh, that John Joseph Adams, um, anthology, the living dead. Cause I, I think, I think you're right. I think uh, that's as about as close as you can get to, to Canon, um, in short zombie horror, uh, John Joseph Adams did another one called, um, I think it was called the living dead too, which is also yep. very good. Um, he edits uh, Lightspeed and Nightmare magazine, also. Um, so he's a, he's a very important guy in the in the genre fiction uh, landscape. And he also edited a if if you're looking for not zombie but apocalyptic, um he uh, post apocalyptic type stuff. He edited a series called Wastelands, and there's two um, uh, anthologies there that are both very very good. So I, I definitely encourage people to check out all of all of those. They, I, I think that all of these anthologies came out about the time of peak post-apocalyptic stuff, peak zombie or whatever. I, they sold a lot of copies and you see them, you know, around used bookstores just all the time. So if you see, if you see anything that's edited by, um, by John Joseph Adams, really great stuff. And, uh, his, his magazines are also very important. So consider maybe, uh, subscribing to, to those cause, cause, uh, Genre publications are are very important to to new authors that are coming up and uh, are very important to the genre. And I'd I'd also like to throw out uh, there's there's another um, kind of pair of anthologies. One is, one's called Twenty First Century Dead, and the other one is called The New Dead, and they're edited by Christopher Golden. Um, both are both are very very good, and uh, you probably would you could probably find them find them used as well. But the Twenty First Century Dead has has a zombie short story by Orson Scott Card of Ender's Game fame and uh it doesn't really have zombies in it but it is it's it's so amazing it is what if people were just came back to life and what would society look like and it is kind of capital w weird and uh and I love it and I and I love that it was it was included in a zombie anthology and I it was it's just so different it's it's great one of my favorite stories oh and i got I, I have to i have to say my absolute favorite short story and i would and i've talked to tyler about this i say tyler you got you gotta teach us one in zombie 101 and he's like uh it's kind of got a little bit of like an adult theme in one part and i'm like ah oh, yeah you know and you hate to edit anything out or anything but it's called Stephen fred and it's by max brooks So the guy who wrote um, Zombie Survival Guide and World War Z, everybody should know who Max Brooks is, Stephen Fred is this kind of meta take on the genre and on that uh, kind of uh, escapist fantasy that sometimes um, the genre can become, and it it is killer. And when you start reading it, you're like, Max Brooks did not freaking write this. And then you get to the end and you're like, this guy's a genius all right well
2: and uh, it also has a lot to say about toxic masculinity i taught it this year i just kind of blacked out i don't know two or three lines oh you did yeah oh, okay all right and, all right. and it, it is funny but it's got so much to say about that survival dude type of mentality it's great you can find that in um the second volume of the living dead
3: yeah. No, no. Seriously, though, if you, if, you, if you go out and you start just looking for zombie anthologies, you'll find them. You'll find them all over the place. I found them in used bookstores like. Oh, yeah. Like all like all the time. Um, if, if you're looking for something that's just that's just free that you can get a hold of, like right now, and that is just really top notch. Uh, there was an episode of Pseudopod that came on a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is called Steadfast. And it is um, by Trisha J Woodridge, and it's got three three different narrators, and it is told as letters from a boyfriend to a girlfriend, and the boyfriend has been deployed to um, go help stem the zombie apocalypse in Southeast Asia. It sounds like it wouldn't really work, but it really does, and uh, and the, the the voice acting is is incredible on it. Uh, it's a great kind of great place to start because. If if somebody thinks that zombie fiction is just kind of throwaway kind of garbage genre stuff, this is uh, this has real characters and real feelings in it, and it's and it's great. I didn't cry at the end, but I almost maybe did.
2: He cried. I watched him. <laughs> <laughs> I can believe it. All right, David, what's your uh, what's your first favorite here? Well
1: my first recommendation actually is my favorite this is like the go-to book that i recommend to anybody when i um introduce myself to new people it's like okay go read this book because this main character is so much like me um it's Zeburbia by jake bible and zeberbia is like the title implies it's it starts off in this suburb that's kind of survived the zombie apocalypse. They've they got uh, they've established Wi Fi. It's a nice little tight knit community with walls and such. So it's it's partial like parody. It doesn't take itself too seriously. It follows Jace Stanford, who is probably one of my favorite protagonists of horror fiction or zombie fiction in general. He's a jack of all trades kind of average guy. It's difficult to explain the plot of this book because that like most really good zombie books, it's not really about plot. It's, it's the characters and the adventure they go on and such. Lots of pop culture references, quirky one-liners, there's cannibals, um, he's constantly fighting with the homeowners association for the uh, suburb that they live in. <laughs> the series itself is seven books long now, but the, his, his story arc is the first six. Um, and just to give you guys an insight into like the kind of story this is, in later, in, throughout the whole series, there's a bunch of different villains that come up. One is a guy Jace calls Lizard Jesus. Um, there's another one who says he's the new president of the United States of America, um, there is a brainwashed super assassin co-eds and there's also the community to run into in Zeberbia 3, Cannibal Road, um, that are cannibals who have this like games, the gladiatorial games kind of thing going on. It's a mix between the Coliseum Bouts and the Running Man.
2: It sounds like fun.
1: And the thing is, Jace, it talks in first person, present tense, and he talks to you as well. He like he breaks the fourth wall, and just his mind is always going, he's saying random stuff, it's, it's hilarious. And I also wrote down to make sure I mentioned that his wife, Stella, is probably one of my favorite female characters I've come across. She's badass, keeps him in line, and really is the star that gets the family through the zombie pod.
2: I love it. <sighs> awesome. Yeah. Seems like there's a, a, a lot of fun to be had, a lot of laughs to, to have.
1: Oh, yeah, Jake Bible is one of my go-to, like, small press authors. Uh, It's published through Severed Press. Um, It is on Kindle Unlimited. And, yeah, he's just, like, he's got that, like, mid-'90s, late-'90s kind of everything's a joke kind of attitude. And Jace is Mm -hmm. always saying the most inopportune things at the worst times and getting himself in so much trouble. It's awesome.
2: Well, and I love that... uh what my, one of the potential villains is the homeowners association? Oh I, uh, God! <laughs> I I serve on mine and it is mind numbing.
1: <laughs> it's it's the worst ever. <laughs> This is not with the books, but okay, so he wrote in this this Homeward association feud goes on for like three or four books in the Zuberbia series, and about four or five years after he finished like the book, he became head of his own Homeward association. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's Zuberbia, but Jake Bobo, like I said, that is the book that got me back into reading as a pastime and a hobby.
0: That sounds like a lot of fun. And there's seven books total?
1: Seven in total, but the seventh one... Jake didn't want to call part seven because Jace's story arc goes over the first six, and it was fully encompassed by itself. Okay. And seven started off with another character spinning off.
0: Interesting.
3: So, so we do get we do get resolution to that. Uh, yes. Oh that
1: God. Homeowners yes. Association. Thing. <laughs> yes. Right? Yes. Okay. Book six actually has one of my favorite endings to a book. Like I've actually gone back in Audible and replayed it like five dozen wow, that's times. That's great.
3: Wow. Cool. Well, hey, and if it, if it's on Kindle Unlimited, there's no reason not to check it out,
1: right?
0: Yeah. Yep. Well, my pick is Dread Nation by Justina Ireland, and the shortlist for the Stoker Awards hasn't come out yet as we're recording it, but it is currently on the long list for the young adult category this year. This is the first in an ongoing series, and it follows a young girl named Jane, who was born around the time that zombies derailed the Battle of Gettysburg. <laughs> and so in this world, there's a, a law passed. It's called the Native and Negro Reeducation Act, and that means that certain children have to go to combat schools and be trained to be attendants to the upper class people so they are kind of going to these so jane is at this finishing school that is also a zombie school so it's all this etiquette and all this high society stuff and also like hand-to-hand combat and like weapons (laughs) training and like (laughs) this arsenal full of stuff so they're training to be like zombie killers for hire um In the book, Jane finds herself uh, caught up in a big conspiracy and finds out things she was not supposed to find out and why the way things are being run, the way they are run. This was so fun and fast paced. I liked the use of zombies for political gain because in this world, like the, the civil war didn't really end. It just kind of got derailed. And so zombies are just kind of pawns used to scare people just everything about it was really fun also in between the chapters jane is writing a letter home to her mother telling her how great things are going at school so it's one of those like dear mom from camp letters but it's all those like crazy things that are going on so it was a lot of fun and i definitely recommend it that is dread nation by justina ireland it sounds like it could be like part of the ken burns civil war (laughs) (laughs) documentary
2: (laughs) And Dear then when mom. the zombies came upon, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah right, exactly.
1: <laughs> See, the That's thing right. with Dread Nation, though, I know a couple people not have read it, and it's like people I know that don't like zombie fiction, don't, yeah, don't even like horror, have read Dread Nation, and they do say like good things about it. Yeah, it's
0: Excellent. got it's got a very widespread appeal.
1: Yeah,
0: it's got really good characters, very fast paced very fun, and it, it is in the YA category, though. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. cool, awesome. That's great. I'll add it to my to-be-read list.
1: <laughs> which is probably really tiny, right? What yeah, yeah right, exactly. <laughs> Page 47.
3: <laughs> All right. Well, it, it might go on as to-be-taught list. Yeah, which yeah. is a lot which is a lot smaller. That is. I, that is. I mean, that sounds like that sounds like zombie 101 territory yep.
2: right there. That it does. That it does. My pick number 2 Well, I think I I kind of debated back and forth because there are are so many really tremendous books out there. So uh, it was a tie, but I'll only talk about one, right? Uh, I teach both the movie and a section of the book of The Girl with All the Gifts. And if you haven't seen that, uh, it's like top five zombie movies of all time. Uh, So there is the, the young adult novel that came before it with the same name. But... What I want to talk about is feed, which is a book number one in the Newsflesh flesh uh, trilogy yeah. by Mira Grant. You guys familiar at all with that?
1: That yes. was actually I was going back and forth with actually using that one instead of the next one I'm gonna do. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. super
2: it's super fun. Uh, it's got great emotion in it. I, probably have, maybe short of like World War Z, Max Brooks. It has the most detailed world building that I probably have read, certainly in the, in the, in the zombie canon. So it takes place in 2040 and it follows uh, essentially the editor in chief of a blog because most news now comes through these like blog feeds. So I'm like kind of bioengineered to like it already, as like the editor in chief <laughs> of a blog. I'm like, yeah, all right, this is this is the new world. <laughs> it's got an incredibly emotional ending for a book that is like really fun. The last ten, twenty pages of this thing are like a gut punch. It's like, whoa! I thought I was reading this really fun novel, and this really not so fun thing happened, and and completely sets the book on its uh, head. And yep. does a really phenomenal job of setting up the rest of the trilogy. So, you got to go check out "Feed" by Mira Grant.
1: See, now when I when I first got on YouTube and started the, the getting into the booktube community, I kept hearing about this this novella that everyone was reading called "Every Heart a Doorway" by uh, oh, yeah. Shannon Maguire. Yeah, and I was like, this doesn't sound like it interests me at all. I don't want to read it. I Don't want to read it whatsoever. And then I found out like a year later that that's Mira Grant. I was yeah. Like, oh crap. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> And I like I like that one as well. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's a. Oh, I like uh, that, that trilogy is amazing.
2: Yeah, and it's such a distinct voice. It's not like anything else in in horror, period. Certainly not in in zombie horror. Like, it's got a lightness about it and a sci fi element about it that mm. just make it. I, I I just set it apart, man. Just just really. Literally. Yeah, it,
1: it, I found it didn't take itself too seriously. Like it, it got that yeah. laced lightness to it, but not to the like a Shaun of the Dead or even like a Z-Burbia kind of level. Yep. There wasn't a lot of like comedy, but it was just not dreary. Yeah, if that makes sense.
3: Yeah,
2: absolutely, Mike. You got any more picks for us, or did you burn them all?
3: <laughs> well, I'm 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 sorry about that. I didn't realize that we were going one by one. I didn't, I didn't realize it was like a draft. <laughs> so. I well, mean, you would, drafted would, all of them. So wouldn't it wouldn't it be awesome if like I don't know, the Spurs got up there, and like with their draft pick, they were like, and this guy, and this guy, and this guy, and this guy, and this guy. We sent them all. We got yeah. them. All, right. it's all of our no round backsies. picks. Yeah, particularly no if the last guy was a zombie. I think they'd win every year, right? I've got I've got some on here that I really like, um, but probably the one that, that I would say is the, most, is the most interesting that people may not have heard of, because I, I am a big fan of World War Z and the zombie survival guide, by max brooks i don't know if those have like i don't know if, if there's a zombie community out there i don't know if they're like oh that's old stuff and you shouldn't be reading that or whatever those are both two incredible books by a really really incredible author but um there's another one called the zombie autopsies by dr steven schlossman that is really really cool because it's written by a real doctor and he kind of takes a fictional take on what um Doctors and CDC guys in um, in a bunker would be looking at as they start to try to figure out what the zombie, uh, what is causing this, what disease is causing this, and uh, gets really into uh, a lot of details. And uh, it's just a fantastic, uh, fantastic book. And uh, I know I've, I've never met it, but I know I know Tyler's met him a, a couple times.
2: Yeah, Dr. Schlossman has been up to give a couple of guest lectures at Zombie One Hundred and One, and. Uh, zombie autopsies is really cool. If you have any science minded people, because he takes a biological approach to like what would create a zombie. So like in the book, he talks about prions disease. So like mad cow disease and that kind of stuff and how it would make a zombie shambling. Right. And then he talks about a different virus that would uh, make somebody eat all the time. Right. And so he combines all of these things into this super virus that, you know, theoretically could make uh, a real life zombie. And he's just, he's a, he teaches at Harvard Medical. So he's like a brilliant dude. And the story of how he wrote the novel, he's a big horror uh, literature, big horror movie guy. And somebody in his family was diagnosed with cancer and he had difficulty sleeping at night. So he would just watch these terrible, awful horror movies and, and eventually was like, okay, I'm a doctor. I can't necessarily fix my wife or fix. I I think it was his wife that ended up with cancer, but I can create a story. You know, I can create a disease and maybe solve it on my own if it were fictional. Right. So he, uh, he wrote the zombie autopsies and it's, it's just a fantastic
1: read. Um, I'm looking it up there now. It actually looks really cool. Like, so it's, he, it's a, it's a fictional doctor's notes on the zombie. Oh, that's, yeah, that's a really cool uh, framing device,
3: and it's got it's got really interesting um, art in it too. Yeah, like there's like sketches. Oh wow, that, uh, that he's done to to go along, or somebody's done to go. I don't know if he if he did them, but it, it's like the it's like the notebook of the doctor, and then he's got all these sketches of all the different things he sees. It's very very cool.
2: What Doc does when he comes in for Zombie One Hundred and One is we always buy uh, sheep brains or cow brains, and the kids dissect the brains to look at like. Okay, what area of the brain would cause a zombie to do this, and what area of the brain would control this? So they get uh, a biology lesson on top of things. So it's it's really kind of a highlight of uh, Zombie One Hundred and One. That's intense. It's a little gross. <laughs> like uh, it's, it's it's some kids' favorites, some kids not. I've I've seen enough uh, sheep brains in my day. I uh, I step out for that lecture now, but. <laughs>
1: once again I go back to being really disheartened that I will never take this course
2: <laughs> it's there <laughs> I'll, I'll buy you a drink in Kirksville if you ever want to make the trip up
1: <laughs> uh, Kirksville, okay, yeah uh, let's see what I can do uh, alright, and then I guess from my last pick, now, what I've liked so far about all the picks that you guys have given so far is the fact that I think pretty much all of these are really great books for n- not necessarily zombie readers either, just like with um, with the zombie autopsies, that's, that seems like it's going to be something interesting to people that just want to know, like, you know, biology and and the mm-hmm. scientific side. Dread Nation, you got the political side. My next pick is mainly because of the author, uh, Zero Day by Bobby Adair. It's the first book in his Slow Burn series. Um, I'm recommending it because Bobby is actually a really... A really good indie author that kind of wrote the first like three or four books of this in like his spare time between his family and work and like i think he did a like 20 30 minute burst so more about the the genesis of how the story came about and he became such a success doing it um plot wise i'm not gonna be a great seller of it because again it's it's a kind of a normal what you would expect of a zombie tale where it's more or less following that main character um in zero day it's uh, Zed Zane is the name of the main <laughs> character. And he is not ex-military. He is not capable in most every way. He is. He starts the book off going to borrow money from his mother and runs into his, step th- his stepfather as a zombie um, and then gets basically convicted of murdering his stepfather because he fought off the zombie and the zombie apocalypse wasn't really well known at that time. So this is right at the genesis of it. So you have this like slacker, unachieving character who uh, is just thrown at the beginning stages of that apocalypse, and you know kind of crazy antics from there. Um, if you like zombie fiction, which if you're listening to this episode, I'm hoping that you do, um, I think it'll be a really fun read because again, it's it's that lighthearted, decent amount of comedy and, and brevity to the grotesque, you know, murdering and and monsters of the story but um yeah if you're a fan of zombie fiction i think it's a good one to pick up and this is more of a signal boost because not a lot of people i don't think have unless you're in the indie scene so my recommendation is gonna be zero day by bobby adair
3: awesome yeah i mean if it it starts with um a guy that is an ex-navy seal ranger dude i just i just (laughs) close i just close it down i'm just no no but if it's a slacker (laughs) Yeah. Who who, can, who who who's convicted of killing his uh his uh his stepfather's zombie? Oh, I yeah, like it. I can I totally like
2: I can totally hear him in court. He's not even my real dad. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and he's not even alive either.
0: All right. So let's talk about some chilling obsessions. I want to go first because I just watched something this weekend and I Loved it, and that is the documentary Horror Noir on Shudder. Have either has anyone here watched it
1: yeah, yet? It's super uh, good. I have not yeah. actually Not this one.
0: So it's a really great documentary. It's about the history of black horror, and they have some great people on there, including author we have mentioned on this podcast before, Tanana Reeve Du, among other people, and just really goes through black horror and black representation in horror just through the ages. And I just thought it was so well done, very interesting, Um, a lot of great discussions to be had. And I just really, really recommend it as a documentary. Good stuff. And Shudder added like a bunch of titles that were mentioned in the documentary on Shudder right now. So they have like Tales from the Hood, they have Bones, they have a bunch of stuff on there that they have added along with it for you to stream right after you watch it.
3: That's awesome.
1: Tell me, wow. Candyman was mentioned in a documentary. Of course, he
2: was oh, yeah.
0: mentioned. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, they had,
2: they had Tony Todd on there. Right? Yeah. Oh, really. And Jordan Peele. Yeah. Oh, yep. Yes.
1: Okay. I'm 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 happy. I'll be looking at this later. <laughs> okay. So speaking of Shutter, um, my chilling obsession this week is actually something from 1982. So I'm sure a lot of you have probably already seen it, but it's worth to go watch it again. And that's going to be Creepshow. Yeah. The reason i bring that up is because i think it was two three days ago um shutter announced that they're going to be doing like a remake not well like a small screen remake of it where they're going to do like episodes of certain stories in a creep show fashion mm-hmm. so they're kind of bringing it back but um that kind of has inspired me to go back and watch creep show again and i just watched it like twice yesterday while i was moving i love that movie so much now so that's my chilling obsession um for those that don't know uh, Creep Show is an anthology horror movie that came out in 1982, um, presented by Stephen King. Stephen King is actually in one of the, uh, one of the featurettes, and I don't really want to discuss it anymore, because if, if you've already seen it, you know what I'm talking about, and if you don't, I don't want to ruin it, so it's a really good throwback, good classic horror film to enjoy.
2: Yeah, it, uh, along with that announcement... They also released a number of the writers. And oh God, yes, I forgot about that. Yep. Yeah, you can you can find almost all of those stories in a, a kind of a different myriad of anthologies. In fact, we're gonna have a story coming out here in the next day or two, like just with real cursory plot descriptions, because there's uh, probably like the big selling point to the remake is uh, a Josh Mahlerman short.
3: Yep. So people are uh, House of the Head.
2: Yes. <gasps>
3: is
0: it that one? Yeah, of the head, I've yeah. mentioned yeah. it on the podcast before. I love that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I forgot.
3: Awesome, awesome.
1: There creepy, are also creepy dollhouses. Yes. Champlain. creepy
0: dollhouses are stuff of my nightmares. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. By the silvery waters of Lake Champlain, by Joe Hill. Um, yeah. The Companion, by Joe Lansdale. Man in the Suitcase, by Christopher Buellman. Um, All Hallows' Eve, by Bruce Jones. Night of the Paw, by John Esposito. And Bad Wolf Down, by Rob Shrab. That's the uh, episode so far. I heard
3: they're going to lead with a survivor type. Yep, yeah, I heard by the Stephen same King, thing. which yeah. is one of my favorite Stephen King. Oh, I'm talking about dark. Type, so. Oof.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I am so jacked for this series that I went back and watched the original again because it's just so great, underrated too. Like it's kind of a cult classic, but it doesn't get the love I think it deserves. Well, uh, if I
2: can cheat, I have two uh, two obsessions
1: <laughs> this <laughs> week. Why. It's okay. Mike yeah. made like seven recommendations. <laughs> yeah, ready. there you go. <laughs>
2: I'm good. I'm good. Uh, so here are my best 13 obsessions. this week. Now. Uh, so I saw a tremendous weird film at Panic Fest, which is our kind of local genre film festival a couple weeks ago, called Starfish. It's directed by Al White. And the rumor is it's getting a wide release. So go try to find a way to see Starfish. It, it feels Literary, uh, it is just beautiful and sad, and I uh, like has stayed with me. So it, it certainly has been an obsession. And I am reading for the first time Ararat uh, by Christopher Golding. So yes, it uh, it's being developed for a television show as well. So I was like, I I need to get on this thing before it becomes a TV show, yeah. and. Oh, my gosh, it is gripping from minute one and scary as all get out. So
1: I am two chapters into that book, but I oh, will great. finish that soon. But it was it's great. Yeah. yeah. Just from what I've read. Yeah. So I can only imagine.
2: All right, Mike, you got an obsession?
3: Always. <laughs> my, so so I am I'm absolutely obsessed with uh, with weird fiction. All right. About about 10 years ago, I read uh, a book called The New Weird, which is a, is an anthology that's edited by uh, that was edited by Jeff and Ann Vandermeer, and not everything in that particular one clicked with me, but it started me kind of on a road that connected back to some authors that I really liked and that I had read in college, particularly um, Jorge uh, Luis Borges, and in kind of this wider world of, of weird fiction, and and I really like the the Vandermeers take on it. So so a couple places to start with with weird fiction would be. Um, the anthology called just the weird, um, that is, uh, it's huge. Um, but it's, it's also edited by Jeff and Ann Vandermeer or, um, the outer dark podcast, which, uh, features interviews with, uh, with weird fiction authors. And, uh, I, I, I really like periodicals too. Um, because I think that they're, I think they're really important. And I think that, um, sometimes maybe we focus in too much on like the big ticket, like, uh, novels and things like that. Um, these periodicals are really important. There's a, there's a literary journal called uh, Vestarian, which is edited by John Paget and Matt Cardin, and uh, it's dedicated to exploring the themes of Thomas Legati's particularly virulent strain of, of the weird. And it's, uh, it's, my, it's my obsession. I, I absolutely love it, and I can't stop telling people about it. And I can't stop telling people about Thomas Ligotti. (laughs) You, you (laughs) snuck it into another
2: people's podcast. (laughs) (laughs) He talks about Thomas Ligotti every week on ours. I apologize. That's
3: your bingo card. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, So if you guys really like audio stuff, there's a guy called the landstander on, um, on YouTube. And, uh, he's got, he's got an amazing voice, amazing production quality. And I can't find out who the guy is. He just drops things on, on his YouTube channel, and it—it's all really, really good. It's all super weird, um, super weird fiction stuff by Jeff Vandermeer, stuff by Thomas Ligotti, um, a couple other, you know, um, yeah. uh, kind of weird fiction authors, uh,
1: Julian Dibble, uh, Simon Bestwick. Oh, I like
2: there, Simon I mean,
3: Bestwick. Yeah, yeah, Simon stuff is great. But, yeah. but I mean, it's like I've listened to every one of this guy's videos and every and and i saved the ones that i thought oh no this isn't going to be any good i saved that for the end his picks are so good it's like it's like there's no way i'm going to like that and i listened to it i was like that was a freaking awesome story how did i not know about this
1: it doesn't hurt that he did seven thomas legati's does it (laughs) that's what what, what got me in the door right that's what got me in the door was thomas (laughs) legati What what uh, he didn't tell you is this
2: guy is really Michael Denham. All right. <laughs> oh, so cool. yeah, that makes sense now. That's
3: our YouTube channel. We just didn't know it yet. <laughs> I have a crazy detective board, you know, where I've got all the, I've got pictures and I've got little, little note cards. And I've got pins. the red string yeah, yeah, and the right. pins and stuff. I think this guy's t- actually Thomas Ligotti. <laughs> that I'm, would be I'm joking. I'm joking. Uh, but it, Cause the Thomas Ligotti is n- notoriously kind of very, uh, not reclusive. He's, he's very personal and doesn't doesn't make any appearances or anything like that. So. There's one the Sherlock Holmes in the in the case of the dead cat sounds dumb. It's freaking phenomenal. Um, there is um, there is one on there called a visit to the serial cafe that is just like almost absurdist but very good. There uh, have you have you ever heard of a guy named uh, Gahan Wilson? Gahan Wilson. No. So, uh, he, so he he wrote kind of like weird science fiction kind of back in the day. He, there's one called The Sea Was Wet As Wet Can Be that he's got on there that is like just so kind of absurd. But then it takes this just super horrific turn and you're left with like, what the hell was that? And it's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And you got Ted Chang on there, which is uh, – he's got Exhalation on there, which is probably – that's like some of the greatest science fiction probably
1: ever written, right there.
3: He won, he won like a gajillion
1: awards for that. So that's the kind of stuff I like putting on when I go when I like lay down and go to sleep and listen to like pseudopod or like audio fiction. So I'll check some of these out.
0: So Books in the Freezer is a bi-weekly podcast. We post episodes every other Tuesday. You can find us on Twitter at Books Freezer Pod or on Instagram at Books in the Freezer. You can send us an email at freezer at gmail.com. Show notes for this episode and all previous episodes are at booksinthefreezer.com. A special thank you to our Patreon supporters. We would not be able to do this without you. But if you're looking for a free way to support the podcast, be sure to leave us a review on a podcast app like iTunes or Stitcher. It really helps people find us. I'm Stephanie. You can find me on Twitter at Lady underscore Ganya. That's L-A-D-Y underscore G-A-G-N-O-N. On Instagram at That's What She Read. That's with two ways. And on YouTube at That's What She Read.
1: And I'm Devin. You can find me on Twitter at Insomnia reads. I'm also on YouTube as Indian Insomniac. And recently just got Twitch affiliated as Indian Insomniac as well.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so where can we find you guys?
1: Well,
2: you can find all of Mike and I's stuff at uh, signalhorizon.com. That's where we do most of our uh, news and reviews. Uh, but we have uh, the horror podcast releases every Monday ish. Um, and you can catch us on Apple, you know, on iTunes or any podcatcher that you have. Otherwise, you can find me individually at Ty Unsel on Twitter and uh come and join the horror podcast group on Facebook. We'd love to hear what you guys have to say about um the horror genre in the classroom.
3: Mike? Oh yeah, you can just find me over on on Facebook arguing with arguing with random people, <laughs> which is pretty much how I spend my free time. That and reading really awesome fiction. So
0: all right. Well thank you so much for joining us for this episode. Thank you for having us. It was a total blast. <laughs> thank you. This was a hoot. Yeah. That it was. Thank you for listening and join us next time for Books in the Freezer.